by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Good morning, everybody. Anybody feel like some walls came down during praise and worship? Don't want to miss praise and worship. That's your opportunity to give back to the Lord. That's your opportunity to get your heart right, to, ready to receive. If you think you're just going to sneak in here after praise and worship and, and, and the word is going to mean the same to you, it, it probably won't because you won't be in a position to receive. So just set your antennas right now and say, God, let's pray. Say, God, help me receive today. I open my heart to hear your voice. Speak to me. I am yours. Amen. We'll turn to Philippians chapter 2, and that'll be our starting scripture today. Oh, say, he's jealous for me. (laughs) Philippians 2, verse 1. Is there any encouragement from, from belonging to Christ? I'll say, aren't you encouraged? Any comfort in his love? Whoo, where would we be without that? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Of course there is. We're here today. We're fellowshipping in the Spirit. (laughs) But what about this? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? You know we're in a series called The All-Important Why. And if you got your sheet, does everybody have a sheet? You got, didn't get a sheet? Need, need a sheet for John Jeans here? He's got, she got an extra one? That's why, she, that's why he don't have one. She's got 64 of them back there. <laughs> Today's message, and that's the first question on your sheet. Today's message is called Compassion is Why. The all-important why is the series, and compassion is why. So that tells you right there, this is going to be a foundational teaching about the why, right? Many of us, I believe, were stirred a couple of weeks ago when Marsha and Seal Price came. And do you remember Marsha was sharing her heart and she said something along the lines of, we were missionaries and, and at one point we had to ask ourselves, do we really love the people? I've had several people come back and say that, that question shook them to the foundation. And, you, and maybe we need to ask ourselves that today. Are we doing what we do just because it makes us seem like good people or, or that's the thing we thought we were supposed to do? Or are we moved with compassion, true compassion? Does our heart really care about others? Uh, a couple years before I got saved, I remember driving with my little brother Heath. Uh, we were going to get some Kentucky Fried Chicken. And uh, I had just read a book somebody gave me. It was, I think it was a secular book. It wasn't a Christian book, but, but the gist of the book is about seeing people, seeing others. You know, not just seeing the surface, but actually thinking about that there's somebody in there thinking. There's somebody in there dealing. There's somebody in there going through stuff. There's, they're in different places, and, and that just caught my attention. And I remember I worked at FedEx at the time, and I remember walking down the hall just I was seeing people for the first time. Before, I was just like, get out of my way. I got my business. I'm going to do my thing. But I was walking down the halls of FedEx, and I would see people, and I would just say, I wonder what's going on inside there. Then that began began to give me compassion for them. I began to think, hey, they're doing the same things I'm doing. They need this to get this done. They got to have a lid for their coat just like I do. Instead of get out of my way, oh, here's you a lid, you know. I began to have compassion on people. And I was telling my little brother what a big change was going on in my life. And I was explaining this to him in some detail. We walked up in Kentucky Fried Chicken and we was waiting in line. And I was still laying it out on him, telling him all the particulars of the book. And about 10 minutes in, I looked up and we hadn't moved the line. And it was still a long line. And I said, hey, what are y'all doing up here? We've been out here like 10 minutes. Is anybody in the place? Come on, Heath, let's get out of here. And I busted the door open. We walked out. I don't know. It just 
I tr- you know, a trigger just, I, I lost it. And, and Heath is sitting there, what in the world? After all? And he follows me out and he says, so much for that seeing people thing, you know. <laughs> Thank goodness that was B.C. for me, before Christ. You know, I got an excuse. I wonder what James and John's excuse was. When they're walking with Jesus himself, God Almighty here on earth, and they're walking with him, and this Samaritan town won't let them come through or stay there or something, and they say, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn them all up? (laughs) They were walking with Jesus, and they had one of those moments. How many said one of those moments? I think we all have moments at times. (laughs) The Bible, you know, I wish the Bible went into more detail. Some of you are saying, that thing's that long already. But... But sometimes it just hits the high points. I, I wish it could, could des- to describe the face of Jesus when they said, call down fire from heaven and burn them up. Could you imagine? He's like. What spirit are you operating in? How long have you been with me? <laughs> have you ever seen me call down fire from heaven? Don't you wish you could see some of Jesus' expressions when he dealt with those knuckleheads? I still wish I could see some of the expressions he's had with me. (laughs) Anyway, in in Exodus 33, it's an interesting story. Moses has already come down the mountain with the tablets of stone, with the Ten Commandments on it that God written. And he gets to the bottom of the mountain, and you know, and and they're down there worshiping a golden calf. (laughs) And the sea gets mad and throws and breaks the commandments. And, and now he, he, he got on to them and everything happened. And then he went back up the mountain for another 40 days. And he, he's exasperated with the people, but he goes and he sits in the presence of God. And, and the Bible says that God reveals himself to Moses face to face like friends. But then in another place it says that no man can see God and live. So I'm wondering, is that a contradiction in the Bible? But no, what it really means is, you know, Jesus was the face of God, and people saw him, right? God can reveal himself in a way that man can look upon him, but he can't reveal his full glory, his full holiness. He can't reveal who he is in the spirit. If we saw that with any sin, we'd fry like a hot potato or something, you know? But anyway, Moses is up there again, and he, he cuts two more tablets, and he brings them to God, and God rewrites the, the Ten Commandments on there, And he's just basking in God's presence, and he says, God, if you don't go with us, we don't even want to go. Just just don't even send us. And God says, no, I'm going to go with you. I'm going with you. And he assures, and and you know he's going with you too, right? He's going with you. He's already made that clear. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's going with you. And then Moses does something amazing. He says, God, let me see your glory. Let me see you. You know, he's already seen him. But he says, let me see you. Wow. That's, that's a bold question there. Can I see you, God? Well, God thinks about this. He says, Moses, I'm going to set you in the cleft of this rock. And we know that rock is Jesus. That's the way we see the Lord, isn't it? We're hidden in the rock. You know, that's why we, we have relationship, because we're hidden in the rock. Anyway, he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock. He says, I'm going to pass by, Moses. You can't, you can't look on me full on. <laughs> as good a man as you are or whatever, you can't see me full on. You'll die. But he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my hand over you as I pass by. And as I pass by, I'm going to let you see my hinder parts. And maybe you can take that. And then it says in Exodus 34, 6. Where's it at? It says, the Lord passed in front of Moses. And he called out. As he's passing by, he calls out. He says, Moses, I'm not only going to let you see my glory, I'm going to reveal my character to you. I'm going to tell you who I am. Not just show you, I'm going to tell you. And so as he's passing by, he calls out, I'm Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. And I am slow to anger, and I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He revealed himself to Moses. Oh, my goodness. When Moses came down off that mountain, his face was shining. They couldn't even look at him because he had seen the Lord. And he had 
He had his character revealed. Moses came down with those two new tablets. I mean, I, I believe he was different after seeing the Lord. Don't you? So, how do we see the Father? How do we, how does that character be revealed to us? In the face of Jesus. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus came to reveal God's compassion and to show he's slow to anger and rich in love and unfailing love and compassion and mercy. In Mark 6, 34, it tells the story of Jesus stepping out of the boat. He said he stepped out of the boat and there was huge crowds and he had compassion on them. <coughs> he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Isn't that the way the world seems today? A bunch of bah, and everybody going their own way. They were like sheep without a shepherd, can't feed themselves, can't take care of themselves, ticks all over them, smelly, dirty, rotten. Sheep without a shepherd to take care of them. So he began teaching them many things. So if Jesus sees people that are heading in the wrong direction, they have nobody to shepherd over them, what does he do? One of the things he does is begin to teach them. And that's called discipling. And that's why at this church we've made such an importance on discipling. We've asked people, you know, we've taught messages on it. Find somebody that you can bring alongside and begin to share your wisdom. Because, you know, even in the church, even in the church, there's people that don't have it all together yet. Did you know that? Surprise, surprise, surprise. Well, go all in. There's two of them. There's Gomer Powell. What's the other one? Goober. You're Goober. I'm Gomer. Well, go all in. You're the Goober. <laughs> you got Aunt B? Well, anyway. How many people do you know, maybe not here at this church, but maybe in, in your walk, in your life, somewhere, that they need a little direction? Boy, they could use, there are probably tons of people. And you're sitting there on all this knowledge, this biblical knowledge that you have. I mean, you're thinking, well, I don't have it all together. But you, you have it together, you're at least heading in the right direction, right? You have something you can share. You say, well, I've done everything wrong. In my, well, perfect. Now you can tell them what not to do. Really? You have wisdom that you have learned either the hard way or the, the easy way, but you have it and you can share. It's called discipling. And that's one of the things that shows compassion. That's one of the things Jesus did to show compassion. Then a story in Matthew 14, 14, Jesus saw huge crowds again as he stepped from the boat. He was always stepping from the boat and there was always huge crowds. You know why there's always huge crowds wherever Jesus is? Because he has compassion. People flog to people with compassion. You'll never lack for friends. If you can learn to have compassion. And it says he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. What I didn't tell you before that took place is that his best friend, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded and he had just learned of it. And before he stepped from the boat, he meant to go on the boat to be alone. Not to be alone, but to be with the Father where he could find real comfort because he was hurting. Jesus was mourning the death of his friend. He wanted to be alone with God. He didn't want the crowds to follow him. He often tried to get alone, but the crowds would, would maul him and mob him. But anyway, he steps out of the boat, and he sees this big crowd, and if it had been me, I was like, guys, you're going to have to wait. i got to be alone. I've got things. But he had compassion on him. He stopped, and he began to heal their sick. And you might find that in your life, when your life seems so tough, if you'll reach out and have compassion on somebody else, your problems might begin to shrink a little bit. I found that to be the case. Anyway, that's what Jesus did. But that just goes to show you, sometimes compassion will cost you a little bit. If you're a compassionate person, your plans may get disrupted. It may be a little taxing on you at times. You may, you may be getting tired of the crew following you around all the time, needing your compassion may be a little discomforting. It can be costly because you're always buying people lunch. You're always helping people out. But you know what I found? The more you give, the more God gives you to give. 
You say, well, I can't afford to buy this person lunch or whatever. Go on and do it and see what happens. Your bank account won't run dry because you give too much. I guarantee it. Anyway, my wife Angie, she's, she's counseling somebody all the time. I mean, there's two or three different people every day that she's talking to about this or that or the other. And I don't know where she finds them all, but she, people are calling her from all over the place. I almost have to mark it on her calendar so I can get a quick kiss in or something every now and then. But she's, she's, always, she's always reading the Word, listening to preaching tapes so she can fill herself up so that she can give it out. And she, she does. She, she takes it in and she gives it back out. Well, this Thursday... Me and her got up early and had to drive all the way to Bartlett to go to a funeral. We got there and, and the funeral, and then we had the graveside, and you know it took up most of the day. And then after that, we went and had a dinner with somebody who was feeling down that needed a you know pep talk. And so we stayed there two hours, bought their dinner and everything. And then we're on the way back from Bartlett, and and she's got two or three of those texts going, and she's just a, you know texting two or three different people, and and that would have been good if she wouldn't have been driving. But, <clears throat> but anyway, she looks at me and she says, compassion is hard. <laughs> but she loves it. She loves it. As hard as it is, she loves it. And she's the most compassionate person I know. And if you haven't recognized it, she's an absolute jewel and a treasure to this church. And I'm not just kidding. I, I truly believe she, she has the compassion and the love. I may write better sermons, but she lives them out better. There's a big difference. Her heart is true. Anyway, isn't this a day of love? <laughs> she might move me out of the doghouse today. In Mark chapter 1... Verse 41, it says, Jesus moved with compassion, reached out, and touched him. Who'd he touch? A leper. Hello? You don't touch lepers. They're highly contagious. But when you're moved with compassion, when you can't help yourself, oh, they've got the stomach flu over there. Don't go pray for them. How can I not? People need you. And you move because you're moved with compassion. There was a time when Jesus came across a mother who had lost her only son in a funeral procession, and he saw it. In Luke 7, 13, he says, When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. And what does God Almighty in the flesh say? He says, Don't cry. Isn't that tender? Isn't that a tender thing for your God who flung the universe into existence to, to see a mother and say, Don't cry. We got a compassionate Lord. You know, at that funeral Thursday, as they were shutting the casket, the whole family was gathered around in this little small room. And there was weeping and there was sorrow. And I just felt so bad for them. And somebody said, Would you pray? And I'm like, What can I say to these people? What can I, what can I do for these people that are hurting so bad, the, mourning the loss of their loved one, their mother, their wife? I'm just a human. I don't know. The only thing I know to do, I just, I called on Jesus. I, I led him to Jesus. I said, Jesus is your comfort. Jesus, and I called his name and said, Lord, you, you, you take care of it. You're the God of mercy and compassion. Holy Spirit, step in. You're the, you're the God of comfort. You're our comforter. That's all you can do sometimes is just lead people to Jesus. And that really, isn't that what we all need? More of Jesus. In every situation, good or bad, we need more of Jesus. <laughs> and then in Matthew 9, verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. Welcome to America. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So there's a lot of lost sheep. There's a lot of dazed and confused people, but there's very few Christians who are laboring to make a difference. 
He says, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. I've often thought, well, we're going to pray that God will send us some more people in here. I think maybe he's saying that God will send the ones we got. Could be both ways, probably. But anyway, this is on your sheet. Jesus is always looking for more people to be dispensers of his compassion. He'll put the love in you if you'll let it go. Like Miss Susan said, if you'll be that vessel that it's poured through, he'll give it to you if you'll give it up. And he says it so simply in Luke 6, 38. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Not a request, not a suggestion, a command. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Now, we love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved us. And isn't that the same reason we should love others? <laughs> Don't they deserve the same kind of unconditional love? Jesus always showed compassion. He taught us the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember the guy that was enemies with Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along and, and the Samaritan helped the Jew when he was down, though other people, religious people, wouldn't. Put him on his donkey, paid his bill, came to the rescue when, when it really profited him none. And what did Jesus say at the end of that para, parable? He says, go and do likewise. Say that with me. Go and do likewise. Be like Jesus. Compassion is love in action. Isn't it? Compassion is love in action. How much compassion do you reckon it took to come down from a throne in heaven to die on a cross from a, for a wicked and perverse generation who cared nothing for him? How much compassion do you think it took to be hung on a cross and then look down and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? That's compassion that's a little beyond most of our reasoning. Most of us, we would find excuses and probably have some pretty good ones. Why not to show compassion? But Jesus, he didn't, he didn't pull out his phone and send us a text. Hey, this is Jesus. Love y'all. How y'all doing with that sin thing? Call me. Smiley face emoticon. <laughs> Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. It, it becomes like a cliche. We, we, I, I know that. Do you really? Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, dead in our sins and trespasses, didn't care nothing about him. And even though the cross is so bitter, it's a symbol of such brutality and such horrendous injustice, really. It is thinking about the love that held him to that cross that motivates us to go and do likewise. It's also our encouragement. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to you. When we see that love, it's going to draw us to do likewise. It inspires us to go tell it on a mountain. These four walls can't con contain the kind of compassion that God wants to get through us. We can't sit in these four walls in these purple pews and, 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 and think that we have the kind of compassion that God wants us to have. We've got to get out of here amongst the hurting, and we've got to act. That's what love does. It gets up and it goes. Compassion is not something we do a word study on. We figure out what it means in the Greek and say, I got it. No, that's not how you get it. It's something you go and do likewise. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. And we need to be reflecting God's goodness. Compassion is the attraction. Compassion is love in action. Compassion is the attraction. It's what draws people. But it's, what it really is is love in action. Now, if your love is not in action, then I have to question, is it really love? I mean, faith without works is dead. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I mean, it's, there, there's got to be a, an action to your love. 
James 2.15 says, Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, and eat well. Smiley face emoticon. But then you do not give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? John says in 1 John 3, 17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show it by our actions. Don't just say, I love you. Show me you love me. Do you notice as much as we realize Jesus loves us, we don't see him in the, in the gospel saying, I love y'all, love y'all, love y'all, love y'all. You may find it one or two places where he says he loves us. But there's no question he loves us. We see it in everything he did. And I want you to notice who wrote those two verses. James and John. The two knuckleheads who wanted to call out fire from heaven. <laughs> So if eyes can change, yous can change. We alls can change. James and John, they walked with Jesus long enough. They got saved, praise God. He breathed the spirit of life into them after he was resurrected. They got filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. And man, the love of God just changed them. The apostle John went on to be known as the apostle of love. The same guy that wanted to call down fire from heaven. So you say, well, I've never been one to be compassionate. Change. What's stopping you? Why do, why do we pigeonhole ourselves into what somebody said about us 20 years ago? Or what we began to think about ourselves? Why do we stop, why do we limit ourselves by our own thoughts? How about let's get this out of the way and let this rule. Let the Spirit of God lead us. Go and do, say, go and do likewise. Where was I at? I already finished that page. No wonder. You know, I, I want to just come off the cuff when I preach a lot of times, but God gives me such things, too many things to say. I have to write them down. I don't want to miss them when I get here. Uh, what we must do to go and do likewise is we've got to take our rose-colored glasses off and begin to see ourselves and remember where we've been and how patient God has been with us. You know, we, we're quick to judge everybody else by their care. Oh, man, we forgot we were there too one day. We were going through what they were going through, and we even responded worse. But now we're, because we know what we know, man, you know, we want to judge them. But I remember God being awful merciful to me, and he still is. And he's been so gracious, giving me things I, I don't deserve. Man, I, when I'm at my lowest thinking, I'm a worm. He busts on the scene and gives me something and blesses me or does something for me, and I'm like, he, he cheers me up. He's the world's best dad. I've heard people say, oh, I'm, I'm very compassionate. I'm a very compassionate person. Nobody loves my family like I do. I love my family. And that's good. I'm not saying anything. That, that is good. I'm, I'm, I'm not being facetious. That's good that you love your family because many people are very, very hard on their family. <laughs> They're harder on their family than they are strangers. They expect more perfection, more production. They, they don't come, cut them as much slack as they cut a stranger on the street, that's for sure. So that's good. It's really, really good that you have compassion and you share it with your family. That is a good place to start. That's the place compassion should, should start, with those closest to you. So go and do likewise. <laughs> but let's turn to Matthew 5, and let's read a little bit more into this equation. Is this good so far? Matthew 5, we'll start in verse 43. This is in red. Jesus says, 
you have heard the law that says, notice it says the law, it doesn't say my law. It was a law somebody had said. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Now, we've heard it, so it, you know, it doesn't start on us. But back then, these people you know, had swords, and they would often kill each other if they were enemies. You know, that's the way you handled your enemies. But this guy comes walking up telling us to love our enemies. Is he crazy? He says, pray for those that persecute you. Yeah, I'll get right on that. In verse 45, he says, in that way, you'll be acting like, like true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. Then he says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. It's good that you love your family. It really is. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And your Father in heaven sent Jesus because he so loved the world. That includes Muslims, Hindus, any of our enemies, Russians, Chinese, whoever. We, we're the ones that put people in boxes and label them and then want to write big chunks of the world off. Are you prepared to stand before God one day and say, well, God, I, I love those who were decent to me, but I, did, I had nothing to do with so-and-so. Good luck with that. Some people might say, I, I want to be compassionate, but I'm afraid. You know, I don't want people to take me wrong. <laughs> and that certainly can happen. But I, you know what I would say to that? Do it afraid. There's some things you just got to get over it. Do it afraid. The Christian life is the courageous life. It's not the same old, same old. It's, the, it's, a, it's a new adventure every day. That's what makes it exciting, that you're overcoming your fear. Do it afraid. And if they don't take love the right way, it's probably because they're not getting enough of it. That's why they need you. Besides, true compassion will always overcome fear. You say, well, I don't do it because I'm afraid. If you got true compassion, you'll do it afraid. We've been talking about fear for the last two Wednesdays. If you hadn't been here, shame on you. But we've been talking about it the last two Wednesdays, talking about fear. And I, and I asked the question both Wednesdays. I said, if you were walking up to your house and you, you all of a sudden noticed that it was just big flames in your house and it was on fire and you knew your children were asleep in the bed in that house, would you run into that fire and save your children? Everybody in here, oh yeah, yeah, I would do it. Why? You're afraid of the fire. Sure, you don't want to run into a, a burning building, but your love overcomes the fear. And if you have love, it will overcome your fear. Say, I can't witness, I can't do this, I can't do it. I, you've limited yourself on all these things. I'm afraid, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not courageous, I'm timid. Well, God has not given you the spirit of timidity or fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And love will overcome, it will dispel spell fear. If you love somebody enough, you will do what it takes. Don't yell me down just because I'm preaching real good. Some of you say, well, I tried that compassion stuff, you know, a couple years ago, the preacher preached on it, and I tried it, and it didn't work. You know, I, I had this teenager God laid on my heart, and I took him to lunch, and I tried to talk some sense in it. I paid the bill and called him a couple times after that, and he just kept right on with the drugs and the alcohol. <laughs> or you may say, I gave this, this bum on the street. He said he was, won't work for food. I gave him $10. He ran down the store and bought beer with it. Or I had this lonely neighbor, and I reached out to him, went down there and talked to him, brought him a fruit basket, and they still don't wave at me. I'm not saying there's not disappointment in being compassionate. 
There is a lot of disappointment in being compassionate. It comes with the territory. But you know what? Love acts like an adult. Somebody has to be the adult in the situation. You know, when, you, when you're kids, you tell them something to do, and they get mad at you. I hate you, mama. Well, what would it look like if you said, I hate you back? <laughs> you little rot, pop. You want some of me? <laughs> Somebody has to be the adult in this world. And compassion, love is the adult in this every situation. It takes no record of wrongs done to it. Remember, your father is both merciful and compassionate. He's merciful. And so you can't take it personally if people don't respond. You try to just, you know, put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You know, is it the Bible or is it just a saying that says, walk a mile in their shoes? So it's kind of like in the Bible. It could be. We'll ask a pastor. <laughs> But people come from all walks of life. And they're at different places. You know, the hardest thing is when you're an adult and you're dealing with teenagers, you know, they do something stupid and you're like, how could you do that, you dummy? What were you thinking? Well, they don't think the same way you do. They haven't had the life experiences you do. They ain't got there yet. And, and so sometimes we, we just think it's common sense. Everybody should know. But people, some people don't know. And they may have dug such a dark pit for their life that they just can't see out. They can't see clearly. Maybe their pain and their hurt, the fog of their life is just too much for them to, to see through. You know, they don't even know how to respond to compassion. People don't. I have talked to people and they're just like, it's just, they're doing good just to make it through the day. And if you did something for them, it's like, that's about all they can muster. And we could be in the same place if it weren't for the grace of God. And we probably were in the same place. <laughs> of course, there's, there's some people that just, they're just rotten, selfish. You know, <laughs> you just look at them and say, man, I don't think they have a lot of excuses. They're just rotten and selfish. You know, they came from a good home. They had everything I had. They're just rotten and selfish. But I bet you there's a story how they got that way. A story you probably don't know. But I'm sure there's a story. And you know what? God is still in the business of restoring selfish and rotten people. As I can testify to the one here on the microphone today. I have unleashed on many of a Kentucky Fried Chicken. Taco Bell, you remember that time? <laughs> I was a donkey on the edge. <laughs> I mean, I was on the edge of blowing it at any time. But we got to ask the Holy Spirit to help us see people. I don't know if that secular book I read, it, you know, I don't know if it had many things right, but it had that part right. We need to see people. We need to ask the Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see their hurt and their pain, to care what's going on inside of them, how they got like they got. Maybe you can, if I care, maybe you can use my voice to speak new encouragement into their life, speak the right thing, words of wisdom, whatever you need. Show me how to minister to them. Do they need a shoulder to cry on? Do I need to just be quiet and listen? They need a word of wisdom, prayer, financial help. He may say they need tough love. Oh, I like that. I can do that. How many tough lovers we got in here? We'll do that. I'll be the tough lover guy. We'll, wouldn't have any problem signing up for that, would we? God will show you, though, what they need. If you'll be tender and if you'll care. If you'll just make a conscious decision that I'm going to care. Maybe you'll only be able to help them for a season. You know, like I said, there's a lot of disappointment come with trying to help people. Some people don't want to be helped or whatever. And maybe, maybe you get them through a, a tough time and then they don't have nothing else to do with you. And you don't get your feelings hurt. You know, they may not have made it through that season if it weren't for you. 
And God keeps good records of what's going on. You know, don't look, don't do it for them. Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So look at it like that. I'm doing it for you, Jesus. We've got to be our brother's keeper. When, if people never respond to your love and kindness and your compassion, give it anyway. If they never respond, that's their business. But our business is the compassion. Our business is compassion. As children of the living God say, my business is compassion. It's who I am. It's what I do. Like I said, in the end, we all need, we all need, us and them, we all need more Jesus. You look on TV and you see the starving kids and you have to cut it off. I know. You see the little dogs and they're crying and you're crying. And, and it just, and you, Lord forbid if you cut on the news. And you seem overwhelmed, and you want to cry out, God, there's nothing I can do. I can't make a difference. But that's the devil telling you that. You can make a difference. Just start where you are. Just do something. It's not true. Start with your family if you want to. But begin to show compassion. We have a lot of projects going on here at the church that you could be a part of. You know, we reach out to the elderly. We reach out to troubled teens and and, we're, and, and the sky's the limit. You guys know this is your church, right? This is not Pastor Guy's church. This is your church. This is your church. If you have an idea how to help somebody, go help them. If you want to get the church involved, let's do it. Whatever you can think of, let's, let's turn this into a conspiracy of kindness. Let's just try to love people. You know, whatever you can think, this is your church. You're not held down. You're encouraged to fly. Let's let compassion fly up out of this place. You know what I'm saying? And if, if you think, well, I, I want to really reach those, those starving children. Well, that's why we have missions given. We have missionaries. We have, we have goers all strategically planned all around this world that we give into. And we can, you can be a sender. And then you... You join with the goer, and you bless people around the world. Muslims are, the, are coming to Christ faster than any other people group in the world right now. Did you know that? Are you okay with that? Jesus says, love even those who want to become our enemies, right? Don't be a Jonah. Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to get saved. He wanted them to go to hell. He said in Jonah 4, 2, he said, so I complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home you'd do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you'd be merciful and compassionate, God. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back people from being destroyed. Jonah was mad. Don't be a Jonah. I love that original recipe. Y'all like extra crispy? Original. There was like 31 herbs and spices. That's the stuff, man. Sometimes they don't cook it good. But if it's good and, good and cooked, man, that's, that's the best. But I've been in the KFCs where they run out of chicken before since I got saved. Now, this is since I got saved. I'm like, you, you know you're a chicken place, right? But I didn't cuss nobody. I didn't cuss nobody. I've been there when they didn't have change in their cash register. I said, that's all right. Keep the change. I've been there when every table in the place is filthy. It's all right. I got a napkin and clean my own place. I've been there when employees were rude. I had compassion. That's the love of Jesus teaching me to be different. I'm no longer a donkey on the edge. Not to say that I would push my buttons, but... Have y'all seen the new Kentucky Fried Chicken commercials? <laughs> They're making fun of the colonel. 
the guy that founded their corporation. A real live guy. I met him. And I'll tell you that story another day. I met the colonel when I was a little boy. I like the colonel. And they're making these commercials where they're mocking him at every turn. That's, that's sick. That's their own founder. They are to be ashamed. But that original recipe, that's the bomb. I like that original recipe. But be compassionate with one another. I told you we went to a funeral. What? All Gober? <laughs> He's not Gomer or Goober. He's Gober. <laughs> Gober? <laughs> Man, we got to close. It's, it's time. We gotta, we're going to take up communion and everything. All right, let me close. I was just going to say we went to that funeral Thursday, and, and it all started uh, Monday. I was here trying to get some work done. knew I had a big week ahead of me. And Angie came in there and says, one of my old bosses from the sports bar where we met 20-something years ago is uh, in hospice and about to pass away. Would you come and pray with her? I don't know if she knows the Lord. Man, I was like, oh, I got so much to do. But just enough compassion welled up in me. I said, how can you leave somebody to die and not when you had an opportunity to tell them about Jesus? So I said, let's go. We'll come right back. I thought she meant, you know, was going down here on down Goodman at the other <laughs> little hospice. Well, the place was in Bartlett. It was on Kirby or something, Quince and Kirby, way out in Memphis. We got there, and uh, the husband was there, and she was kind of in a state with a lot of drugs, you know, and stuff, so she was really in and out and really wasn't conscious of what a lot was going on. I was like, man, how are you going to minister to her now? And, uh, but we talked to her, her husband, and he was a really nice guy. I really liked this guy. His name was Preston. And uh, I wish I'd have got to know him more back in the day. Just a really good guy. But he was a talker, and we stayed there for, you know, an hour and a half or so before I finally got the nerve to say, Preston, do you I'm a pastor, and do you mind if I pray for your wife? Because I didn't know if they had any religious background or anything. And he said, no, no, go ahead. And so I came, and I held her hand. I put my hand on her head, and she kind of maybe opened her eyes a little bit, but then she would go back out. And I just did the best that I could. I didn't know. I just prayed and said, and I tried to get her to understand she needed Jesus and to just say Jesus. Or, you know. But the good news was he had told me a couple of days before she had prayed with a couple other uh, ch what are chaplains that had been in there, so that was good. But anyway, we left, and you know most of the day was gone. By the time we ate lunch and came back, I was like, man, I'm really running behind. And The next day, she passed away. And uh, then Angie comes in there and says, they want you to do the funeral. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I hate doing funerals. I'm always called on to do funerals. I don't like funerals because they're like a no-win situation. Somebody always gets buried every time. And uh, I need to do them more like Jesus. He just raised them up. And get out of there quicker. But anyway, so it, it takes a lot of work to put together the eulogy and the service and all that. But I, I was thinking, you know, there's going to be a lot of people there that don't know Jesus that I'll get a chance to minister to. It's a great opportunity to minister. So I couldn't pass that up. And so that Thursday, you know, I was supposed still way behind on all my stuff. We get dressed and we drive all the way out to Bartlett. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I, I give the eulogy and everything, and it's a, it's a tough crowd. I mean, I... You can tell the difference when it's a Christian crowd and when it's not. You know, a Christian crowd is wanting you to say something to lighten this, the load a little bit because they, they feel, it, they know deep down it's a celebration of somebody. But, but the mostly unchristian crowd, is, you know, they have no hope in this world. And it's like, oh, and I was trying to lighten the mood. He told a joke or something, you know, just something little. And boy, they didn't get it. They are like, hurry it up, preacher. You know, and they were looking at me funny. And at one point when I began to explain the gospel to them and get into it pretty heavy, I looked out there and I thought, I need to back off, man. These people are about to stone me. But that's when I, I laid it on them thicker. I mean, I gave it to them. I said, I ain't got nothing to lose. And I got out behind that pulpit and began to just tell them what Jesus did for them and, and you know, just tell them the truth. And uh, 
I even sang a song to them a cappella, something I had wrote. I mean, I just laid, did, did I leave it all out on the, and they were looking at me like, who is this crazy guy? But I did an altar call at the end of the service and gave them a chance. I didn't get them to raise their hand, but I said, say this with me, or just call on Jesus. And I gave them an opportunity, a space to say something. And then uh, when the service was over, we went to the grave site, and as I was walking up to the grave site, some young gentleman, I say young, he's probably 35, he comes up to me, he says, sir, he says, you was talking to me. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I've been knowing I need to do something with my life, and everything you said was what I needed to hear, and I'm giving my life to Jesus. And I said, praise the Lord. I don't know, there may have been more because... You know, I, I got them to say it silently. There may have been more, but this one gentleman came up to me, and, and we did the graveside and everything. But you know, all that came about by just one little seed of compassion. I just said, I, you can't allow, allow somebody to pass and not even present the gospel to them. You know, and all that came to pass just with one little seed of compassion. Then you get the opportunity to minister to probably 100 lost souls in that place today. I don't know if they were all lost. You know, I'm not... I'm not the judge of that. And I don't know if she was lost or not. I pray that she, she's saved. But I know we got, I got the opportunity to minister. And you will too. If you'll just let a seed of compassion take hold of your heart and you'll just follow love, it'll lead you into a place where you'll be speaking into lives and you'll see a harvest eventually. You'll have a lot of disappointment, but you'll see a harvest. 1 Corinthians 13 one says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and, and of angels but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood God's secret plans and I possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. I'd just be playing church. So what was your answer to Marcia's question? Do you really love the people? Do you, or you just love playing church and having a form of godliness? Is that enough for us? I want you to question. I want you to ask because you really have to ask. Do you, if you don't, it's something that, that God has to give you. You need to spend more time with God because you get that love and that compassion from his presence. Do you really want to walk in the power of the gospel? Because the power is in compassion. I've seen it proved out in my life. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.